Welcome to the Center in the City podcast. I'm your host, Wade Brill, and during this series, I'll be interviewing various thought leaders, wellness experts, and humans on how they practice sustainable self-care and mindfulness. We'll get real and raw, talk about the light and the shadow side of self-care and mindfulness, and how we can actually stay centered amid the chaos and the hustle and bustle of our modern day world. So settle in and get centered. This podcast episode is brought to you by Centered in the City, a virtual on-demand self-care and mindfulness platform with over a hundred different meditations, journaling prompts, nourishing recipes, and Pilates flows, all designed to support you feeling calm, focused, and energized as you live your life in this modern day world. For more information, head on over to centeredinthecity.org and claim your seven-day free trial. Notice how much better you will feel by having a consistent practice to support you staying centered. On today's Center in the City podcast, I am so excited to have Emily Aries as a guest. I met Emily around five or so years ago when she gave a keynote here in Seattle, and I just fell in love with her energy, her authenticity, and her passion for what she does, and I am so excited to have her on the podcast. If you don't know Emily, here's a little bit about her. She is a speaker, podcast host, author, and the founder and CEO of Bossed Up, an award-winning personal and professional development community where she helps women craft happy, healthy, and sustainable career paths. Her book, Bossed Up, A Grown Woman's Guide to Getting Your Shit Together, serves as a practical roadmap for women who want to set themselves up for sustainable, long-term career success and step up as the boss of their lives. Welcome to the podcast, Emily. Thanks so much for having me here, Wade. It's great to see you. So great to have you. I'd love to jump in by exploring just what does self-care mean to you? Mm. Such an important question after such a traumatizing year. (laughs) Yes. And I have mixed feelings about self-care. I think a lot of us do because it's been warped. Mm -hmm. in so many different ways for so many different reasons. At the end of the day, I think self-care is the boring but very necessary work that we all must do to ensure that we're not pouring from an empty cup, as Oprah likes to say, right? So I have been in my own life at times trying to be all things to all people and have forgotten the importance of my own self-care, whether that looked like not having scheduled the dentist checkups or my regular cleanings or my annual physical for a couple of years there, not having really taken physical exercise seriously as a part of my mental health plan, um, thinking I could just burn the, the, you know, midnight oil on both ends to mix metaphors here and that it would never catch up to me. And we all know, I think it does. I burnt out very early on in my career um, by thinking that I could martyr myself to success and it just doesn't work that way. So self-care is not cucumber slices on the eyes. It is not mani pedis. It is not corporate self-care that we've been taught. It is the sometimes very difficult act of intentionally doing what you need to do in order to show up and be who you really are. 
Mm-hmm. And this year, I mean, I'm almost bored with self-care. I talk about this with my therapist uh, when I chat with her every other week. I'm like so over self-caring ourselves through this. It's it's laborious. It's mm. kind of emotionally taxing. And I think even sometimes you can kind of get into such a routine that you feel like you're just going through the motions. Like, oh, did I meditate? Yes. Check. Did I go for a walk? Check. Did I read a book? Check. It just can feel a little pointless sometimes. So I think it's it's a constant reevaluation of what self-care means to me now, what I need it to be for me now, what I'm lacking, what I'm feeling scarce around and how can I care for myself truly and, and wholly. How do you then keep self-care feeling fresh and rejuvenating versus it having that kind of laborious draining energy where you kind of feel like I'm just self-caring my way through 2020, which yeah makes sense because it's been a heck of a year. Totally. How do you keep it fresh? You know, sometimes we, I have to say that you don't like sometimes there's nothing fresh about scheduling a teeth cleaning. You know what I mean? There's nothing <laughs> exciting about a lot of self-care. Um, you know, financial management is a huge part of what helps me sleep at night. It's like doing the boring accounting work of making mm-hmm. sure my bills are paid and that I can, you know, it's, it's the, it's sort of like removing stress is a part of self-care. Mm-hmm. Removing stress is a part of self-care. That's different than renewal and rejuvenation and feeling refreshed. Those feel like also very important parts of self-care. Um, but dealing head on with problems, having tough conversations about boundaries with people in your life who might be crossing them. Those are acts of self-care, radical self-care, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then at the end of the day, you know, sometimes it's asking yourself, what does fun mean to me right now? Especially in this weird time, you know, if, if what I think looks like self-care isn't doing the trick for me, if I'm following the playbook that we've been handed by the capitalist version of self-care, which is painting your nails and giving yourself a facial or whatever, mm-hmm. or paying for self-care in some marketplace, right? If those aren't doing the tricks for me, I need to say, okay, what would seven-year-old me really love? Mm. And that girl loved to climb trees and tap dance. And nowadays it looks like rock climbing and playing the drums mm-hmm. in my garage, poorly, mind you. But like having fun is part of self-care for me. And to try to mix them up means sometimes changing the when, the where, the with whom. Those variables can also help mm. as well. And really kind of not being complacent about your own well-being, like asking yourself, what would fun look like for me right now? And and maybe I just need to veg and watch some Netflix and not feel guilty about it. That's fine too. There's a time and place. Um, but just reevaluating constantly is, is an act of radical love. Taking time for yourself can sometimes just be about creating that space to question things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I'm hearing like that slowing down to be present with yourself, to tune in of like, what do I need right now? Whether it's as something as boring as, oh yeah, I need to schedule my annual physical. I need to do my budget this month Right to like what brings me joy, what sparks fun. Yeah, totally. And I think right now this pandemic has taught us all that we have to work a little harder to spark fun for ourselves. So at the start of December, I made like a holiday fun wish list and sat down with my family members who are local to Colorado 
now we recently have been relocated here from the East Coast and said, well, who wants to go ice skating? You do? Okay, great. Who's interested in a cookie swap? You do? Cool. And sitting down with my husband, he's like, I don't want to do ice skating. I don't want to do a cookie swap. That's fine. What do we want to do this December that feels festive and fun? And he likes to decorate the house with me. So like, you know, finding time to reflect on what would be fun, how, how and when and where we can do it and when we can do it together with whom and then making time for it. It's, it's very boring sounding, right? But like putting it on the calendar, scheduling fun is still fun in my book at least. <laughs> but it's funny cause it's, to me, it's like not boring. It's, these are the questions that if you're not asking, then what are you doing, right? Then right. I feel like we then are kind of living more of these like robotic lifestyles or we're just letting time pass by versus what it sounds like you're doing and practicing mm -hmm. is, taking that intentional time to say like, what do we want to do this holiday season? That's going to create joy and right. some sort of sparkle. And what does that get to look like? And let's be as creative as possible with the situation mm -hmm. that we're handed with. So it's funny you say that because I always think of this phrase, like you either live life by design or default. Mm -hmm. And I used to be one of those very snarky, uh, you know, ivory tower snobby people who thought that was kind of woo woo. And I, I remember I was recalling this memory with Brad the Boo recently, my my husband, who I lovingly call Brad the Boo, by saying, when I was in summer camp way back in the day, YMCA summer camp, right? Every week you'd have this presentation where the camp counselors would say, here's why you should sign up for my thing, which is volleyball. Or here's why you should sign up for you know, four square, here's why you should sign up for arts and crafts this week. And they'd have to pitch us, the camp, ca the campers mm. on who to sign up for what. And every week there was some two goofballs who would say, here's our class this week or our program this week called stupid, but fun, stupid, but fun, where you do things that are stupid, but fun. <laughs> and I used to roll my little eyes at them because I was such a sophisticated little seven-year-old who knew it all and think like, oh my gosh, who would sign up for something that's that unproductive or like that nonsensical. And nowadays I'm like, oh, they knew more than I did all along. Like there is something really special about things that are stupid, that bring you delight for no sense at all. You know what mm. I mean? Like just the little things, like I got a $6 frother from Target recently. And now in the mornings when I make my coffee or I make a hot cocoa, I have a frothy foam topping. And it like every time it delights me beyond reason. And that's what we need to find right now. You know what I mean? Like that's what we're, I think that's what 2020 taught me to look for is things yeah. that feel joyful in a way that doesn't make any sense and doesn't have to make any sense. You don't have to explain it to anybody. And then it can be that micro and small, right? Yeah. And and that you're you're interested in being curious of what are those little things. Right. And, and it you doesn't need to have a productive outcome. Not at all. And you hit on something very interesting there, which is about present being present and mindful of your feelings. And I read um Permission to Feel this year by Mark Brackett. Highly recommend. It's a book about emotional intelligence. And over and over and over again in the audiobook, as I was listening to it, he said, Now ask yourself again, how do you feel really? And like, that's such a simple question, but we all ask it every day with other people all the time. And we all expect to hear, I'm fine. How are you? And if you actually 
begin to like sink into that question and ask yourself, okay, but how does this really make me feel? How does being around this person really make me feel? Why do I feel so angsty right now? Why does this 10 minute walk in a park near my house make me feel so much better? Like present awareness of your feelings is not easy to develop, but it is so essential. I would argue it's actually a prerequisite to designing your life around those pockets of joy, right? Yes. I love that. How have you strengthen that muscle of growing your presence to, to your feelings. <laughs> you know, my husband, I laugh because he would argue that that muscle was very strong with this one from the start. Right. I, uh, he always quotes John Mulaney, who's this very funny Irish Catholic standup who says, I used to date, uh, Gentile women and I would walk into my apartment. My girlfriend would be you know, sitting in a corner, arms crossed, brow furrowed. And I'd say, what's the matter? And she would go, you wouldn't understand. And he's like, I can't work with that. He's like, now John goes on to say, I just exclusively date Jewish women. And let me tell you, <laughs> I walk into my apartment and this Jewish girlfriend who he married, so his now wife says, my stomach hurts, my back's all messed up. And like, I'm tired, I'm hungry. And he's like, that I can work with. <laughs> so I think my husband has had a very similar experience on that front uh, in that my half Catholic Latina mother, half Jewish father upbringing uh, meant that we wear our feelings on our sleeves, but almost to a fault mm -hmm. to the mm -hmm. point where uh, if I don't say it out loud, I can't possibly experience it. So I've really had to tune in to my inner voice and kind of remember that feelings are not a performance for others. Mm -hmm. It's not all for the public eye. So it's like, okay, how do I tune in to this weird feeling that seems to be a mixture of disappointment and rage, or that seems to be, I always say I implode, I don't explode, you know, like disappointment and fear, or is this bringing up some kind of memory for me? Or is this, you know, what's going on? That can take a little while to detangle because failings rarely come in a simple, easy to read recipe, right? So creating space and time, this for me is partly why therapy has been such a helpful part of my own come up story, honest to God. And journaling has been really helpful to me too. I, I, as a writer, find a lot of introspection comes through the pen, mm. not through other forms for me. So yeah, I don't know. I, I've, I've also definitely strengthened my meditation practice this year, mm -hmm. but I don't know. I think, I think it's having a mixture of courageous conversations with others who really do hold space for you to answer tough questions like this one. Mm -hmm and creating that space on your own so mm. that you're not just filling the void with constant stimulus, right? Putting your phone away on occasion, like turning it off. What a radical notion so mm. that we're not just bombarded with stimulus. We can actually kind of lean into whatever is going on internally and ask mm. ourselves, okay, what's, what's happening there? What's the newsfeed internally looking like these days? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I have a, a teacher, a meditation teacher talks about, right? Turning inwards to gauge the internal weather yeah, right, with your internal weather report going on. Yeah. And it sounds like I love, you know, you've highlighted a few different practices to find that quiet, whether it's journaling and that has been a practice for you of, of slowing down to have the 
kind of intuitive introspection. And it sounds like mindfulness is not necessarily, it's, it's a practice for you. And you've been very transparent, at least I know through social media and on your Instagram account, kind of the days when meditation works and the days when it doesn't. And I love how authentic you are in that conversation. Yeah. So like what, what are you practicing right now that mm-hmm. you're, you're finding that support in? Okay. So I have struggled with meditation for a long time. This was the first year I went from five minutes of daily meditation sporadically, but more often than not to 10 minutes of meditation. And I was like, uh, only a pandemic, right? Only a pandemic could induce that kind of a transformation, but then I drop it for weeks on end. So it's like, I'm not really one to turn to stillness very easily. Like I said, I'm the tap dancer. I'm the drum player. I'm the hyperactive kid who's always spouting off. So for me, physical activity, movement, getting out into nature, way into nature in the Rocky mountains, preferably, um, is a big part of my mindfulness practice. Yoga is a wonderful form of mindful meditation mixed with mindful movement and breath. Mm-hmm. I love yoga and people are always surprised by that. Cause it like people think of yoga as being quite slow, but I love like some pretty fast paced or pretty intense physical yoga. And then I've incorporated mindfulness into how I run my company. Mm. Our morning huddles are quite quick now. We have deeper Monday morning meetings with the team of us. There's three full-timers in my company now. Um, And then every other day of the week, we have like a 30-minute huddle in the mornings. But every single one starts off with, how are you feeling? What's like a word to describe your mood today? Or how, you know, how, how, what was your weekend like? Or give us a personal update. And I started pushing back on folks from just saying good. You can't say good. That's mm-hmm. not allowed. <laughs> More descriptive. Yeah. And so that's been tricky, but it's so helpful to just start the day with a temperature check of the team. Because if someone's going through something big, you kind of, you want to know before we start diving into the to-do list of the day. Um, and when the pandemic first hit, we spent a lot of time in our feelings and talking about our feelings and making it okay for people to air negative feelings and then for us to lean into that and not run from it. And that's been um, a scarier practice of mindfulness in leadership. Mm-hmm. You know, what does mindfulness in leadership look like? It looks like giving people permission to show up as their full and authentic selves, even when it's extremely inconvenient for the business. <laughs> you know, it pays yeah. off to like take the damn time. To yeah, lean in. What benefits are you noticing from yourself as a leader or from your company, from, from mm. airing out the feelings of being able to have those authentic conversations? Kind of, it sounds like kind yeah. of take off that mask of I'm, I'm in work mode. Right. I mean, the benefits are so omnipresent. It's trust. That's pretty much it. So this year, I think so many of us have seen how our workplaces reacted and responded to a global health crisis. And we've made some decisions, whether we've acted on them yet or not, as to whether or not we can buy in to this place of work for the long term. And it's too early to tell, you know, who the winners and losers are in that. But I'm very proud of how my team, in a very existential threat, right, faced with a very existential threat because our business was pretty much 100% deriving revenue from in-person events prior to this pandemic starting. Mm -hmm. 
the only reason we survived this is because we all kind of came together back to back, Charlie's Angel style, and said, the cavalry is not coming. We need to save our own jobs right now by being really active listeners to our community, figuring out what the professional women we cater to, who we serve, could use right now. What are we great at? What can we, how can we match our strengths with their new needs? And how can we act swiftly and courageously Mm. to try to be a value to people? And I'm thrilled to say not only has it worked so well that we're still alive, but now we're growing. So the byproduct of vulnerability and leading with mindful intention was we trusted each other to be experimental. Mm. We encouraged radical progress amongst our own team right? When it comes to throwing ideas out there, like being bold, being creative, being adaptive. And we made it okay to say, I'm having a really shitty day. I'm feeling scared. I'm feeling fearful. I'm feeling worried. I'm feeling anxious. And I think as a leader, you have to inspire trust amongst your team that you have their backs, that you have their best intentions. And you've got to be real with them about how much longer we have until we are all jobless. You know what I mean? So those Mm -hmm. are some really scary highly charged emotional conversations that we've had this year. And I'm so proud of how my team and I were never at each other's necks. We had each other's backs Mm. during some of the most stressful months of business ever, full of uncertainty. And I don't think we could have done that without really creating space to talk about all the feelings, good, bad, and ugly. Mm. I love that. So it's really changing that conversation in the workspace of, It's not unproductive to talk about your feelings and emotions, but actually it creates trust and it builds a stronger team, which is really supportive to be able to pivot, especially during a pandemic. Definitely. And it does take time. So I think there's the productivity part of me who cares, right? We're tracking all of our time and we spent more time this year in meetings than ever, Hmm. but like for good reason, you know? So being intentional about, the purpose of how we're creating space. And also it doesn't have an immediate ROI. It has a a much harder to measure ROI of safety, psychological safety, where people can feel like they can make mistakes and not immediately lose their job. Clarity around expectations, clarity around who we are, what we stand for, what, you know, how we're going to move on from here. I think it's a, and then then vulnerability from our leaders, me showing up saying, I don't know how we're going to get out of this mess, but we got to figure it out together. (laughs) Like that, I think engenders trust because nobody wants to be paid lip service to, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Especially when you're faced with such an unprecedented crisis, unprecedented crisis. Yeah. And I think this circles back to what you shared in the beginning about what radical self-care is for you, right? Having these hard conversations, being authentic about what you're feeling so that it's not keeping you up at night being like, how, how did I show up with my team? Or I'm not telling them the full truth of what's going on or, but you're showing up authentically in the moment. Totally. Yeah. It's messy. I'm not going to lie because sometimes it does keep me up all night. And I think part of what's radical is going to the team the next day and saying, you know, so-and-so I was, I was up all night because I was really thinking how our conversation ended yesterday and I felt really not good about it. Can Mm -hmm. we revisit this? Is this a time that you can talk about it? Mm -hmm. Because I feel like we haven't quite found our way to consensus on this issue. So disagreement feels so personal, right? Because it is, but 
I want to make sure that not only as a leader am I making space for other people to be clear about their hopes, fears, desires, concerns, and dreams, but I need to also share mine, right? Mm -hmm. Like I'm not here. I think the servant leader can be a very dangerous paradigm for women, especially who are taught to serve everyone else before we serve ourselves. Mm -hmm. And in this pursuit of kind of like saving the business or saving the team or saving jobs this year, I found myself sometimes slipping over into the edge of putting everyone else's needs before my own too much for too long to the point where I felt like, well, maybe my needs aren't being heard. And that's why I'm starting to get resentful. So if I wasn't listening to those weird feelings and trying to you know, uncover them and explore them and, and say, okay, well, what's not working here? Oh, something's not working for me. Hmm. This needs to work for me too. I'm always surprised at how many times I have to relearn the same damn lesson that started this whole business bossed up to begin with, which is self-advocacy is hard, especially for women in a world that doesn't really like women who advocate for themselves. And it's so quietly internalized by all of us all the damn time mm -hmm. that we, I just, even myself, the queen of self-advocacy, who's a speaker talking about burnout prevention and talking about assertive communication. Even I have these revelations, usually with my therapist, when I say, damn, I need to learn this all over again. I have not been speaking up for myself mm -hmm. in my own business. Mm -hmm. It's just like, you have to, I think, learn the same lesson over and over again sometimes, mm -hmm. which is it's never convenient to speak up for yourself, but you have to decide when it is absolutely necessary to do so. That's mm. so true and so powerful. And I know all of, some of the other guests that I've had on the podcast and a lot of our listeners are people pleasers. Totally. And that's such a learned experience for identified women in our culture of, you know, I need to be a pleaser. I need to do what the good girl says, or, you know, I don't want to stir any confrontation or, you know, yeah. whatever that is. So to be an advocate for yourself is so bold. It's and can, so weird. It's just counterintuitive. Cause honestly, Wade, being a people pleaser gets you very far in life, mm -hmm. right? Like if I hadn't stopped, listened to our audience, decided, okay, what is, what do our clients really need from us right now? And how can I please them? Like that superpower of empathy is why my business is still alive. <laughs> you know, that's why we got A's in school, or that's why we know how to make a, a parent or a loved one smile, right? Empathy. We, we have that on lock, a lot of us. I think what's less common is listening to your own internal wants and desires, even the ones you can't really rationalize and just saying, I want this there. That's why I'm going for it. Cause I want this, or I know this makes business sense to do. I know we should be on TikTok. I know we should be doing all of these things, but you know what? I don't fucking want to. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that's enough of a reason. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so it's like, I think we spend a lot of time trying to coerce our own will. And there's a limit to that, you know, and you have to, you have to really make those compromises with yourself and who you think you should be and figure out like, what's, what's truly right for you. What form of success is the form that you have decided to pursue? Yeah. And not the shoulds, right? We can right. be so imprisoned by the shoulds and totally right. That phrase of stop shooting on yourself. <laughs> exactly. We can, I love we can all constantly practice that. 
Totally. I think Tracy Ellis Ross said it best when she said, I'm trying to allow the space between where I am and where I want to be to inspire me and not terrify me. Mm-hmm. I think there's always a gap there, but we have to really lean into it with curiosity and compassion for ourselves, mm-hmm. not insecurity and constant neuroticism mm-hmm. <laughs> over, am I good enough? You know, yeah. like this whole life is a journey and it's cliche, but we have to like, not, I, I'm, I'm telling myself this as much as anyone else is like, it doesn't really help us to suffer our way to success. That's not what this is about. <laughs> yeah. I love that. And can, you know, I work a lot with my clients on, can they intuitively listen to their body to help guide them of this is fueling me. This is, this is exciting me. I feel the light and the drive from the inside out versus yeah. the drain and the like, Oh, why am I here? What am I doing? And we can use that lens and that framework for any choices we want to make in life, whether totally. it's food, whether it's people, whether it's careers, whether yeah. it's activities. Totally. The body has so much information locked in it, you know? And that's why I think some physical practice is really important, whether Mm -hmm. it's wailing on a drum set or doing yoga, like that mind-body connection can get very lost very quickly, especially in our intellectually minded world, Mm -hmm. which Mm -hmm. separates the mind from the head, right? So kind of rooting down, plugging in, tapping into what's going on physically is such a big part of it. I really had to focus on that this year because exercise again like many forms of self-care can feel like a chore (laughs) but I've taken to walking a lot more lately which is hilarious I think in a way it's like the former college athlete in me is rolling her eyes like oh you walk now for fun that's part of your exercise regimen yes I walk a lot these days because that's what I feel like doing Mm. you know and so how do you say that to yourself without the guilt or the judgment creep up I mean, you heard it just creep up just there, right? So it's not like it's it's a perfect science by any means, but I try to remind myself there are seasons to all of this. And I have kind of come by pretty radical self-love uh, over the years in that I think my I love my body. Like I can say that unapologetically. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, damn, like look at all the things this does for me, right? And my body changes a lot, especially as my exercise regimen changes. Um, I kind of marvel at it more than judge myself for it. But I'm also just genetically pretty fucking lucky. And I think like it's easier for me to be non-judgmental because my personal physical shape is much more aligned with Western modern standards of beauty than, you know, some other date and time and culture might be. So I don't know. I just, I I think after college, once I personally was wrestling with self-acceptance around my own body and food and exercise and and fitness, I'm just like, life is too fucking short to like not be into yourself. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Amen. Mm -hmm. I just, I choose to be into myself in all the shapes that I come in over the different seasons of my life. And things are certainly changing in my mid thirties. Uh, but I'm trying to remain curious about them and like marveling at them. And if I want to pay money to have some sort of facial or some fancy serum 
to, you know, as part of my self-care regimen, there is a time and place for capitalist forms of self-care too. And I don't make any apologies for my, you know, seven step skincare regimen that I also picked up this year. So, you know, I kind of laugh at myself. I think there, there has to, you have to have a little sense of humor with your own, I think, relationship with your body. Otherwise you're not listening. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You're just hearing curiosity and the care, like constantly that check-in of what do I need right now? Oh my God. My, and that wonder like, oh my, my body's doing this right now. It didn't yeah. used to do this and it's doing this. That kind of softens the, the judgment voice. Yeah. A little bit, but I think we all have things that we want our bodies to do. They aren't doing yet. And again, like we can either hate ourselves on the way to success or like make progress, right? Do something nice for your body try to get it to do what you want it to do. Um, but always seeing it as possible and as evolutionary and as changing, right? Mm-hmm. I don't think of myself as fixed. My mm-hmm. body and my mind are very pliable. And mm-hmm. so, you know, I'm not running half marathons. I'm not competing in an Olympic triathlon like I did seven years ago anytime soon, but that's not really my goal. Mm-hmm. So I don't, care. Now I'm trying to learn how to do that butt wiggle that they do on TikTok, which I've been working on. It's like, I call it the Gen Z booty shake. Um, and I'm getting there. You can ask Brad the boo, but it's just like, you know what I mean? Like there's, there's life is too short to give a fuck. That's I'm honestly like there, I have bigger fish to fry right now. It's kind of how I feel about it. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Well, it sounds like not only having a growth mindset, but it's like a growth mindset in the mind, but also like a growth mindset, like yeah. In your body, you're constantly learning. It's doing different things. You're challenging in different ways. You're setting different goals. Totally. I love that. Yeah. I, love I mean, it's just, fun. it's, it's gotta be, it's, you gotta be chill. I, I'll tell you what, Wade, I should get real with you. Right. Cause I am in the very yes. beginning of the pandemic. Uh, I think everybody went to the grocery store and bought the essentials, right? That's why toilet paper was sold out so quickly. My husband and I started buying regularly bags of candy which is not exactly like a regular part of my diet pre- previously. So I was like, if we're going down, man, if shit's in the fan, I'm going out with sweets. Okay. This household needs stress candy. And that is what I needed. So for three months, we white knuckled our way through a big business pivot to try to save the business. And I think I gained like 15, like the quarantine, 15 pounds. And I just became aware of that and was like, Oh, you mean eating candy every day is going to make me gain weight. That's interesting, you know? And I didn't like, I kind of was cracking up as I was telling my girlfriends, like I've gained 15 fucking pounds in this pandemic already. This was like three months in. Uh, And then I just started, okay, thinking about how that was making me feel Mm -hmm. and what I wanted to do. And it's by no means have I eliminated candy from my regular diet because it is officially Christmas cookie season up in here. But (laughs) like the relationship between the consumption of sweets and mindful, like mindful awareness of where my body's at has changed. Mm. And so for a little while there, I was using Noom, which I actually really enjoyed uh, to track how much I was eating and just become more aware. And I didn't really give a shit if I was like, I didn't fit into their perfect budget of how many calories you should eat per day but it became a practice of mindful awareness Mm -hmm. around consumption. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I used it until I didn't find it to be very helpful. Um, But I hit, you know, I hit my target weight and I feel like I 
pretty much walked my way there. I didn't do anything crazy physically. I just changed how I was fueling my body, especially Mm -hmm. slowly from like, what was this March, April, May till now I lost 15 pounds. So it was like May until the end of the year. And that's, Mm -hmm. I think fine, Mm -hmm. you know, slow, incremental, mindful, uh, and also not that seriously. You know what I mean? Not that stressfully. Cause again, I have bigger stresses to worry about like making payroll as opposed to making a target weight. Well, it sounds like you didn't crash diet. It sounds like you listened to your body and were very gentle and intuitive with yourself as you're like, holy shit. I just stressed (laughs) ate my way for the first few months, which is totally normal. And that's like a, a very normal way of of how in our culture we manage stress. Totally. And, you know, taking yourself back to what feels authentically good to you, your own baseline. Totally. Exactly. And it never was like, I mean, it was never tied to how I felt about my body too. That's the thing. Cause I think some, one thing that women are not taught often enough, but Latina women, I think mm-hmm. frankly, know a little bit are, are like our culture is a little more red in on this is you can look smoking hot 15 pounds heavier than you are right now, like period. Mm -hmm. So like, I think there was, I think I finally have arrived at that point in my life where I'm like, I can look hot here. I can also look hot 15 pounds more from here, Mm -hmm. 20, 30, 40 pounds more from here, but it's not about looking hot. It's actually about like, what am I eating and why? (laughs) Mm -hmm. And where does my body want, want to be, you know, Mm -hmm. that, that feels healthy, that feels strong, but that doesn't feel like I'm depriving myself. Mm. So I love that because it's, it's putting you, your like intuition as the driver versus the number on the scale. Right. Exactly. And that is sustainable, right? That to me, like, that's what I talk about with my clients around sustainable self-care. It's really what you're intuitively asking yourself, what do I need and how am Mm -hmm. I supporting myself? Not looking for external validation. Right. And then how do I set it up for myself? So I started getting a food delivery box every other week with three vegetarian meals in it. Because you know what one of my barriers to like eating healthier vegetarian meals is, is like figuring out what to make and buy, cook and chop. And I could just remove that barrier Mm. by throwing a little bit of cash at the problem. So Mm -hmm. again, it sort of like goes back to this idea of mindful awareness. What do I need as my needs change? Mm -hmm. And then what does self-care look like in practice? Is it boring? Is it budgeting? Is it sitting down and doing the stuff I need to do? hashtag adulting style, mm-hmm. or is it something that the self-care consumption culture of products and services out there can serve me, mm-hmm. right? So sometimes the answer is self-care industry, like a dis- uh, delivery box of subscription food. And sometimes it's good old fashioned labor, you know, mm-hmm. making time and space for yourself. So, mm-hmm. but I think that key, the key root here is constant reevaluation. Where am I creating space and time to think, how am I feeling? What do I need? And how can those needs be met? Okay. I love that you're bringing up, how do I create space and time for myself? Because that is a huge block for people around time, right? We constantly hear, I don't have enough time. I'm too busy. That's one of the things I hear most about fitting in rituals and practices for people. And I love that you have, I'm also holding it in my hand because you can't see me. You can only hear me, but I'm holding my hand. Um, Emily's boss up planner. Mm-hmm. So talk to me about this planner and also talk to me about how this planner supports your bigger mission of helping 
women build a sustainable career and lifestyle. Totally. Well, I'm so delighted you have one in your hands. Mine is on the table over there, but I started developing the Bossed Up Life Tracker Planner back in 2013 in collaboration with a friend of mine and Bossed Up advisor, Anastasia Pochopsova-Ghosh, who got her PhD from Yale in gender and decision-making, and she studied role overload and why women become chronic multitaskers in our culture and the unique pitfalls that women face, like how much more guilt we face by trying to be uh, masters of it all, right? Mm-hmm. And so as I started to set off on my journey of creating Bossed Up as a career services company, helping ambitious women radically accept themselves while still accepting our ambition, right? It is okay to strive for more and thrive along the way. You know, this became a tool that we used at all of our in-person training programs. And we said, here, try this out. This is a thing I've developed and it'll help you take your biggest, wildest ambitions and break them down and make time and space for them on a regular basis. Specifically, you know, kickstarting a new year, a new quarter, a new month. How do you set yourself up for sustainable long-term success? And every January, we held three live public masterclasses about how exactly the science and the cognitive uh, psychology and behavioral psychology work in all the many ways that it's informing this one tool. But I'll tell you what, Wade, over the past four years since we started producing the Life Tracker Planner, every year we've sold out like days into January and every year we order more. And now this year we'll have close to a thousand life tracker planners out there in the world. Amazing. A community of women that come together on a regular basis to champion one another, to support one another through struggle and to really try to get at, okay, how do I stop being what I call, um, a, uh, what's the word? Um, not like be, uh, oh God, take your time. Okay. What is this word? Aspirational. That's the word. How do I not be an aspirational planner? And how do I actually be a real pragmatist when it comes to what is most important to me right now? And what are the barriers getting in the way of me getting those things done? And how do I remove them? Mm. So it sort of like combines this radical notion of self-care, of self-love, of creating space and time with, okay, why haven't I done this yet? Like these are long-term lofty, mm-hmm. audacious goals. If they weren't, they would already be done by now. So now how do we get real? How do we get down to brass tacks and make it a habit, make it a routine, make it a system you can follow with a community of ambitionistas who are by your side the whole time? You know, that that's the real magic of the Life Tracker Planner is not just the science that informs the whole guilt mitigation strategy, but it's the community that comes with it. Um, that really makes it last. So it's, it's been such a delight. It's, it's such a cool part of what I do. Um, and it, I use my life tracker planner every damn day myself. So it's something the whole lost up team uses and informs our work and informs how we help others do the same and make what's most important to you a priority because life's not going to make it happen for you. And right there, that's self-care too, right? Make what you want to do a priority, whether it's write a book, whether it's learn how to juggle, play the drums, whatever it is, right? Huh. It's that you matter. And how can I put my time and my energy towards filling my own cup? 
Yeah. In a world that tells women that everyone has to do everything for everyone else first. Mm -hmm. It's like, especially for mothers, I think there's such a transition in our identities when we become mothers, which is I'll do anything for my children. You know what I mean? I think we need to show our children that mama's got interests and that matter too. (laughs) Like Mm -hmm. that is something we can do for the next generation. So I, I really think it's it's pretty radical to every single month, ask yourself in this one worksheet that comes at the top of every month, okay, what are my goals personally, professionally, across work, love, wellness, and anything else I have? And what are the next three action steps that I can take to make progress on those goals so that you script your next move and you know, okay, it's just a matter of when, it's a matter of where I can plug in these activities to help me propel forward that which is most important to me. And the women who've used this planner for years say, I'll never not use this planner because what it helps us do is shake off all the shoulds, right? Take off all of society's expectations and start by putting things on your plate only that you deem most important. And then, then the rest of our time and space can be filled up with all the other stuff that happens, you know? Yes. I love that. Put down the essentials and then the rest can follow. Not let our time get crowded with everything and then feel starved and hungry because nothing there is meaningful. Yeah. Or, That's like, a great way of putting it. Yeah, totally. Nothing meaty, nothing like nothing protein filled there. <laughs> Emily, I could keep talking to you about this forever. And I wanted to even talk to you about burnout, but we might just have to have you back on the podcast to go deeper into burnout. Um, tell people where they can find you. Awesome. Thank you so much, Wade. I'd love to come back to you. I could talk to you forever. So if you're listening to this podcast right now, you should do a quick search for my podcast, Bossed Up, B-O-S-S-E-D, Up. And uh, I put out two new episodes every single week. It's worth checking out. You can also go to bossedup.com or bossedup.org to learn more about all the free resources we have there. And if our planners haven't sold out yet, you'll find uh, three gorgeous cover designs we have for our 2021 planners. It's not too late to get in on this goal slaying party and really join a community of women who thrive while we strive. I'd love to see you there. Yes. And I will put all of those links in the show notes as well. Thank you so much, Emily, for sharing your real authentic self and your journey and looking forward to seeing you in 2021. Thank you, Wade. Likewise, back at ya. Thanks so much for listening to the Center in the City podcast. If you know of a great guest for our show, feel free to send an email to team at centeredinthecity.org or sign up for my newsletter at wade at wadebrill.com. And of course, you can always check out the Center in the City platform at centeredinthecity.org. Until next time, stay centered.